Good evening. <clears throat> Welcome back to Love Thy Body. And so glad to see you guys back again. So tonight is session two of four. And just again, a reminder of uh, the format. So we're going to have some teaching on the issues uh, of life and death. And then uh, about midway through, we'll break out again into the discussion groups. And um, so really excited about that. So another thing just to keep in mind is after the session, uh, we have some of these books available for free. Uh, these were p- compiled a couple years ago after our class on biblical sexuality. And these are basically the, 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 t- the teachings in book form. They've been edited, but these are free. And these will be helpful um, for us in the upcoming weeks. So really excited about tonight. Uh, we have a treat in terms of our speaker uh, is one of our own, Mike Sassy, who is um, really been a, a champion and uh, an advocate and really immersed himself in the pro-life issues for, for decades, really. And so he's going to be sharing with us, uh, again, using Love Thy Body as a jumping off point and talking about worldview and how worldview is affecting uh, people's uh, attitudes and decisions uh, on the issues of life, specifically issues of abortion, uh, infanticide, and then on the other end of the spectrum, euthanasia. So we're really excited to hear from Mike. So please welcome Mike Sassy. Just ripped off my microphone. Thank you. Well, I'm really excited to be here, too. Thank you for coming. Um, I was really glad to see this. Got a little rain here. Really glad to see this subject on this book. Uh, I've uh, followed Nancy Piercy for several years. Her book about five or six years ago called Total Truth concentrates on worldview really uh, in depth. Uh, And the book that we're using as a jumping off point here is Love Thy Body, and it deals specifically with um, things about our body, our sexuality, uh, our, our view of, of, uh, of the world, uh, and how all that affects society in general, and the church in particular. Why does worldview matter? And what does it have to do with life issues? Um, worldview is big. And I was really excited to hear the last several messages the different ones here at New Life shared. Uh, Pastor Carroll, starting two Sundays ago, uh, really knocked it out of the park on, the, on a good foundation on the significance of our worldview. It's how we view reality. And out of that, we make decisions of what is right and what's wrong, what God wants us to do, what we're supposed to do and what we're not supposed to do. It's all determined by our worldview. Um, Kevin shared last week and uh, talked about uh, the the three the uh, the upper story and the lower story, and and uh, he got into some some of the Cartesian and Platonic uh, and I haven't read either of those uh, philosophers, but I've read about them. Mm-hmm. But that there's that reality consists, uh, or our or our identity, our existence consists of a of a dualistic view. Uh, of, of reality wherein there's the body or the material that we can see and measure and it's, and it's undeniable. 
and then that's on the that's on the ground floor, the lower story, and then the upper story of our existence is our mind, our spirit, information. Um, uh, for, uh, Plato called it form, and it talked about a dualistic way of looking at how we exist. And this was mankind over the millennia trying to figure out what is real, what is the worldview, what is the what does the world look like, what does reality consist of. And I put three of the boxes out here. Uh, some of these, Nancy Piercy goes over in her book because there are so many issues of life that we talk about that we can see can be divided between this lower story of the material world and the upper story of the spirit world, if you will. And that's the first box there, that the matter uh, is the material world in the lower story, and it's basically bad is too strong a word, but it's not the ultimate. In the Greek way of looking at things, things that had to do with the material realm was a lower in, in its value, was lower in its value than the upper story, which was the spirit. And so the Greeks valued philosophy and discussion and argument. And they, de they demeaned manual labor, for instance, as a material thing. So that's lower story. And like they wanted to transcend that and go, uh, be in the upper story. And then another application of that is in the middle box where uh, the lower story is our physiology, our body, our anatomy, and the upper story is our mind, our psychology, our values, what we think, our knowledge. And then the uh, other box over on the, on the side uh, has our body as uh, random atoms that have just developed because of, of uh, unguided... Um, um, Evolution, and the upper story is our soul or our spirit, our personhood. And that's the thing that we're going to key on tonight is personhood because that becomes the issue of life is to, uh, in, in how society has determined where they can come in and interfere with what God hath wrought. Uh, and that is to determine whether or not a, per, uh, uh, a, a human being is a person. That's why our worldview matters in, in life issues. The two-story uh, view of reality also affects Christians. Um, and one of the more common ones in that other box, it talks about our body being distinct from our soul and spirit. But if we look at how God created us, it really isn't that distinct. Genesis 1.27 says, So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. God created us in his own image. Now, what is God's characteristic? Does God consist of a body and a soul? No, he doesn't. Um, Deuteronomy 6.4 says, Hear, O Israel. The Lord our God is one. That word is, is integral, integer. That's where, we get the, that's where we get the word integer, being whole or one. It's, it's, it's one unit. That's how God created us. Then in Genesis 2.4, it describes how God created man, uh, the first man, Adam. And the Lord formed man 
of the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. And man became a living soul. Some uh, uh, translations call that a, a living being. But in Christianity, I know in my growing up in the Catholic Church, I was used to thinking that I had a body, I, or I was a body, and I had a soul. And so that reflects that two-story dualism that is Greek in its origin. It isn't Hebrew in its origin. The Hebrew view of humankind is that God made my body out of the dust. He breathed his life into me, and I don't, he didn't put a soul in me. I became a soul. A soul means life a living being. So I am, as God is, integral. And in Nancy Piercy's book, Love Thy Body, that's her main point that she's pointing out. You can't separate those. You can't disengage those two from one, one from the other. If the spirit leaves the body, the body dies. And there's no evidence in Scripture that says that there is a spirit that leaves the body and also still exists. Do you see that? It's it's a transcendence that we often accept, but it really isn't borne out in Scripture. It doesn't originate in Scripture. God made us to be integral, and our body can't be as separated from our spirit, our, our soul, as sometimes we would like to think. Any discussion on that? We're going to have discussion later. But if you, if, if, if you have a puzzle scratch that itch that needs to be scratched, we can talk about that. Well, there's a quote in, I think, Job that says, returns to God who gave it. Um, is that Job? Um, but I've never been there. <laughs> and there really are, are, are not any scriptures that I've been able to find that are as explicit as would explain the body and soul distinction and disengagement the way we often think of it, even in the church. Okay? Yeah. There we go. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's good. Katie, you have your hand up? Yes. The very. I don't know if that's on or not. We are okay. We are integral people. The way God is one. 
Thank you for being honest. Um, and where I'm going to is society has gotten into trouble in trying to make a a, a, uh, a divorce, if you will, from our physical body and our spiritual soul. We want to identify one or the other as being who I am. And God has made, God took my body and breathed his life into me and I became a soul. You can't separate one from the other. All right. Now, the promise that we are given in Scripture explicitly is of a resurrection in a new body to live in eternity in a new earth and a new heaven. OK, that's that's the explicit scripture. And if you go to um, cemeteries from like two centuries ago, we were in Charleston. We like to vacation over there and there's homes that were built in the 1600s that people still live in. And there's these old church graveyards. And almost every one of the headstones has something written on them that we don't see in, in cemeteries from the 1900s on uh, since the great, uh, Second Great Awakening. And that's RIP, rest in peace. And so there's a concept that when, we, when our body dies, that we, some people call it soul sleep, that we rest in peace awaiting the resurrection. Now, the problem we get into sometimes, I think, when we try to figure out where our spirit goes and what, you know, what, what am I going to think and is, and is Aunt Lucy watching me today from heaven is that uh, we are stuck in time. But when we die, we enter into a phase of, of eternity, which we can't conceive of. And so I, I believe that when I die, I will be in the presence of the Lord. To be absent from the body is to be present with Christ. But I don't, I don't, but that will be because I'm freed from time and I will be at the day of resurrection. So I don't know. I've never been there, but I do know who I believe in and, and I have faith in that. Okay. Are we all right? Yes, sir. All right. Because we got a long way to go. <laughs> Uh-huh. Well, it, 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 it also, and, not, and, not, and not, to, not to put too fine a point on it, it also doesn't say heaven. It says paradise. And, and, when, uh, and when the beggar uh, died and went, uh, it was begging for the food, uh, it didn't say heaven there. It said Abraham's bosom. What is that? I don't know. So it, it's just not, my point is, it's not as simple, maybe, as what we can think of. God thinks better than I do. And all of us put together. Absolutely. <laughs> I get that a lot. <laughs> you never get that, do you, Tim? <laughs> Is it all right if I ignore what you're saying? Yes. Because, and, and really, a whole lot of this came out of, uh, I believe, out of the Second Great Awakening, when, when the preachers were trying to get across in very limited time, Concept, complicated concepts of salvation 
to common people who are mostly illiterate. And, and it's, it's not really, it, it's simplifying it in a way that, yes, will bring us comfort. Because the bottom line is, I know who I believe in. And I know who I put my faith in. And I know who saved me. And I know I have eternal life with him. So the details of that, he's got worked out, I don't. And he hasn't shared them with me. But, okay, I want to turn a corner, though, but I want to see where we get into trouble with life issues with this separation of the lower story and the upper story. Because what happens is... Um, If we don't have a kingdom view of us, uh, of what contains a person, what the world has done is begun to pick and choose what, what, a, what comprises being a person. So where we have ended up, where are we now and why, is that we do have abortion. We do have people who are killing children in the womb, who are killing old people uh, in euthanasia. We've had people who have participated in genocide and even are participating in that today, infanticide. Um, Romans 1, says, Claiming to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. When Nicodemus was asking Jesus what he had to do, he said in John 3, 3, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Now I want to talk a little bit about the kingdom of God. Because Jesus says we can't see it. Now, what is the kingdom of God? The kingdom of God is not heaven. The kingdom of God is not the church. The kingdom of God is not his second coming. The kingdom is a government system. That's what a kingdom is. Similar to a democracy, a republic, a kingdom. The kingdom of God is his rules. We are under his rule. We are therefore in his kingdom. And if we see his kingdom, then we see how he wants us to, be, to obey him. We see how he wants to rule us. That's why Jesus taught us to pray, thy kingdom come, your rule come. That's not a, that's not a request for the father to send Jesus back right away. That is a, a surrender to Father, to rule over us. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And Jesus said to Nicodemus that unless you be born again, the way we're born the first time, we're gonna, we, we are under a fallen uh, uh, nature. <clears throat> and we cannot live under his kingdom. And it's not that we cannot that we can, we can see what that nature, what that rule should be, and we deny it. We can't see it. We're blind. It's not that a blind man doesn't want to see you. It's that he can't. And Jesus says that if, unless a man is born again, starts over with a different nature, that is what salvation is, he can't see 
God's rule over us. And not only must we see the kingdom, but we have to see it correctly. We have to see world. We have to view the world the way he made it. It's our worldview. And when the society has rejected God and has ruled out God, then they are trying to determine what personhood is under their own wisdom. Misaligned worldviews cause acceptance of our death issues that we're talking about today. Once personhood, and that's what they have done, they've taken this, 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 uh, the bottom level and said, yeah, we agree, let's take abortion for instance, we agree that the bottom floor is a human being. They can look into, you know, at first they said, well, it's just a blob of tissue. And uh, it's okay, it's not a person. And then science has gotten up, and we see, son- we see uh, uh, sonograms and uh, research, and we can see that, no, it's, it is a unique human being. It's a human, separate, complete separate DNA. And so they said, okay, well, yeah, that bottom floor is there. That bottom is there. But we are doubting whether or not it's a person. Okay? That's the key. That's why we have to get past this separation here. And it's, and it's what they did in, in the uh, centuries ago with, with slavery. And it's what Hitler did with the, uh, with the Jews in the concentration camp. He declared that, yes, by bod- in their body they are... Um, they are human beings, but they, do, they lack personhood. And man took it upon himself that instead of realizing that all men are created in God's image as integral uh, beings, that we're able to know, reject that and call them non-persons. Once personhood is untethered from the body, then no rights are unalienable. The government can come in and declare whatever they want to do as being correct and, uh, uh, and acceptable. If an undesirable, a quote undesirable isn't a person, then killing it becomes a convenient solution for a perceived problem. So our perceived problem, and one of the things that Pastor Carroll is going to talk about next week is the problem that we have in our sexuality, is that sexuality has become separated from its intended purpose, which is primarily procreation. And so now we have sex that's for uh, entertainment, and out of that does come procreation, well, that becomes a problem. And what used to be a baby that was a good thing that people wanted, we've rejected it as being a problem, and now we take it upon ourselves to get rid of it. And that's why abortion is as, is as big a problem as it is today. It comes from receiving babies as a curse rather than a blessing. 
only, in, only starting in the 20th century has that been the case, that ba having a baby has been perceived as a curse. If you'll turn over your uh, second page, I just want to go over some things because I think a lot of people are not, don't realize the, the magnitude of the problem of abortion. In, this is in the U.S. These are some statistics from 2017. Table A, the CDC puts out what are the greatest causes of death. And uh, they don't include abortions in that because if they were to do that, they would have to admit that an unborn fetus, an unborn baby, is a person. And they can't do that. The Supreme Court has declared that that's not the case. So they have declared that heart disease, the orange, and cancer, the gray, are the two top two causes of death in the U.S. But if you look over to, to Table B, you add, I've added abortion into those statistics and see what it's done to the magnitude of um, heart disease and cancer and accidents. It dwarfs it. Yes, abortion isn't just something that goes on a couple of times or as Bill Clinton says, declared that his desire was, was for it to be safe, legal, and rare. Abortion is the number one cause of death in the U.S. And it's essentially 100% preventable. This is a huge problem. Skipping down, it hits different ethnic groups differently. In non-Hispanic blacks in, in uh, Table C, the purported main causes of death are similar to the general population in uh, Table A. But if you go over to Table D, you can see that abortions are a greater cause of death in the black community than the three, actually the top 10 causes of death combined. This, my friends, is genocide. This is a big problem. So, What do we do about this? I, I used to believe that abortion was okay when I was a Christian. And many of you may, may believe that. We'll have time to discuss that. My testimony is I read uh, uh, in the King James Version, Exodus 21, 22. I'll just read that to you. If men strive, and I read this in the King James Version again. If men strive and hurt a woman with child so that her fruit depart from her and yet no mischief follow, he shall be surely punished according as the woman's husband will lay upon him and he shall pay, a, as, he shall pay as the judge determines. And if any mischief follow, then he shall give life for life, tooth for tooth, etc. And I read that and it said, if her fruit depart from her, and I thought that meant a, a, uh, a miscarriage or abortion. And it says, if, if two men struggle and they hit a pregnant woman, 
and she loses the baby, then he'll have to pay a fine, as the judge determines. So out of that, I concluded that God did not think that unborn baby was a human, because in the very same verse, he says life for life. And since he didn't require life from the guy who caused that abortion, I didn't think it was, it was a human being. It was, I'm sorry, I didn't think it was a person. My worldview was wrong. My translation was wrong. That's an unfortunate translation of the King James Version that's caused a lot of deception in the church. Because most every other uh, version will read Exodus 21, 22 like this. If men fight and hurt a woman with child so that she gives birth prematurely, yet no harm follows, he shall surely be punished according as a woman's husband imposes on him, and he shall pay as the judge, judges determine. But if any harm follows, that means then if the baby dies. So this was, this was an ordinance for a premature birth, not for a miscarriage. And so that little bit of a, of a distinction in how that, that verse was translated caused me to have a completely wrong worldview. And I was on board for allowing a woman's right to choose to kill the, her baby in her womb. And that's what's happened in our society today. Because of wrong worldviews, whether or not it's it's the separation between the lower story and the upper story. And I do recommend that you get Nancy Piercy's book because she explains this a lot better than I do. Um, <clears throat> or whether or not it's the, mis the, the mistranslation of an of a, of a obscure script, uh, passage in Scripture. Our worldview matters in life and death issues. Euthanasia is on the other end of that spectrum where we have once again separated the lower story from the upper story. And if a person becomes demented enough that they can, they can disqualify that upper story as not being a person, then they can go ahead and extinguish the lower story. People are justifying doing this to themselves. They don't want what the, what the lower story is going to give them in pain and suffering and disability. And so they have taken on God and tried to determine that they can extinguish the lower story. So I don't have statistics on, on the carnage that euthanasia is, uh, is uh, wielding upon uh, the U.S. I know it's, it's, it's going head, headlong in the Netherlands and in Belgium and in other countries in Europe. Um, I, I fear that it's that it's liable to become as big a problem as abortion could be. What do we do about it? How do we fix faulty worldviews about life issues? <clears throat> if they cannot see unless they're born again, what are we going to do? Isaiah 44. 18 says, Isaiah 44, 18 says, They know not, nor do they discern, for he, God, has shut their eyes so that they cannot see, and their hearts so that they cannot understand. 
as uh, Phil Yeoman shared with us last Sunday, um, they cannot hear. Jesus refers to that several times in the, in the Gospels. He who has an ear to hear, let him hear. And Phil pointed out that hearing means not just hearing, but, he, but listening and heeding and obeying and obeying quickly. We need to pray that God will let us see, let us view the world the way he views it. Worldview does matter. So what can we do about it? Maybe we should march up to the abortion clinic and, and tell people they're going to hell. You think that'll turn a lot of people around? Maybe. Some do. Some think that. Do they turn people around, Tom? Oh, well, they don't turn around. Maybe they need to say, oh, you're going to hell. <laughs> say it louder. Carry, carry a sign differently. They won't do it. Compare them to Hitler. <laughs> I brought up Nazi uh, philosophy one time to a woman who was pro-life. and That's the last serious discussion I've been able to have with her. <laughs> Just shut it down. You can't change someone's worldview by attacking them. Because you know what? They aren't the enemy. We wrestle not with flesh and blood. Ephesians 6, 12 and 13. But against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces in the heavenly places. So, we get them to join our club? Come to church. That'll change your behavior. Maybe. There's a lot of us who, I was in church. I believed in abortion. It didn't immediately correct my worldview. Now, I'm not all, I'm, I'm, come to church, okay? But that won't fix us by itself. Get them to go to heaven when they die? That may comfort them. But will it improve their worldview? So that they see the world the way God made it. We need to somehow get them <clears throat> to see the kingdom, to see God's rule. Because our goal isn't to change their behavior. Our goal is to let them see the kingdom. Jim. Exactly right. So how did Jesus get people born again? He came. He put off his, his royalty. And he came and was among us. He obeyed the Father. Learned. Perfected his obedience to the things that he suffered. He prayed. John 17, 17. Jesus is praying to the Father for his disciples, us. Sanctify them in the truth. 
Your word is truth. It's an absolute truth. You know there's such a thing as relative truth. You know, some people will say it's cold in here, and some people will say it's hot in here. That's relative truth. That is a matter of, of your opinion. But there's also such a thing as absolute truth. And the problem is that the world has rejected that there is an absolute truth because the absolute truth has a name. It's God. It's the I am. And once you have rejected that there is a God, then all truth is relative. But we need to bring people back to see the absolute truth of the kingdom of God. So Jesus came, he obeyed, he prayed, he presented truth. What did he say to the woman at the well? Did he say, if you died tomorrow, do you know where you would spend eternity? He didn't say that. Now, I know a lot of us came to know the Lord from things like that, and we, and we utilize that. And I'm not against that if that's what God leads you to do. But he represented Father there. What did, he th what did he tell the woman at the well? She reported it later. Now, he said that to the, to the other woman. What, he told me everything I ever did. That's what she told the town. He prophesied to her. He preached to her. He told her, those who worship the Father must worship me in spirit and in what? Truth. Absolute truth. Okay? He presented the kingdom of God to her. Now, whether or not she got baptized or baptized, I don't know. Yes. Yes. You have to meet God. Yes. Does that answer that? I'm, I'm, I'm all for Jesus all along. All right. <laughs> Jesus presented truth with a capital T. And, uh, and again, uh, one of Nancy Piercy's books is, is called Total Truth. And it presents that. I recommend it to you. When Jesus was at the, at the ultimate trial in his life, in front of Pontius Pilate, where he was either going to be spared or he was going to die, he said in John 37, 38, <clears throat> I'm sorry, Pilate said to him, so you are a king? Jesus answered, you say that I'm a king. For this purpose I was born, and for this purpose I have come into the world to bear witness to what? To the truth. Everyone who is of the truth listens to my voice. We hear him. Like Phil was talking about Sunday. 
That's, that's heeding, obeying and obeying quickly. Everyone who is of the truth listens to my voice. And then Pilate responded the way that the majority of our society responds. He said, what is truth? And he said that rhetorically. He didn't expect or want Jesus to answer. So Jesus presented truth. Jesus also had compassion. Somebody pointed out recently here, compassion, calm means with. Passion is passion or suffering. To suffer with. Many times in the gospel, it says that Jesus had compassion on people. It's different than saying, you're going to hell. That won't work. You have to give of yourself. Even to death. Death on a cross. All of the first century apostles, I believe, were there exceptions, Tim, to people who were martyred? John was not martyred. Most of them were martyred. They did not live failures. They were successes. They changed the world. But we can do that too. Some practical things. First of all, there are a lot of people that we might know that need healing. And with those people, we need to be sent. We need to provide for them. We need to... um, Utilize healing. Women who have had abortions, fathers, would-be fathers who have lost children to abortions, elderly parents who are suffering and might even be considering or victims of euthanasia. We have to put ourselves out there in the battle. We have to meet them with compassion. We have to minister to women who have had abortions the healing that God, that Jesus bought with the blood, with his own blood on the cross. And we need to minister that healing to them. That's a very difficult thing to realize. What you, what you did in the name of freedom and liberty and felt like you had justification for doing it when you realized that that wasn't the case. We have to have compassion for those people. They are victims. They've been lied to and may have gone over this terrible cliff because of a a lying worldview. Some other practical things we can do. We can vote, support support pro-life causes, politics. We can join pro-life organizations Right to Life of Louisville. I, I, I just came off the board of Right to Life of Louisville after about 11 years. <laughs> um, and there's a, in, in the metro area, there's uh, maybe nine, close to a million people, okay? And statistically, 
People uh, are about half and half, just over half in this area, report to be pro-life. And so um, you would think that in a metro area of around a million people, we ought to have half a million members at Right to Life of Louisville. We've got 1,500 members. A whole lot of us think, yeah, I'm I'm, I'm a member of Right to Life. I'm pro-life. Well, have you joined? (laughs) They do a lot of uh, lobbying and education. Um, We went to uh, the uh, uh, fundraising dinner for Sisters for Life uh, in the winter. That's a vibrant organization that is dealing not just with the worldview issues of abortion itself, but the genocidal issues of that whole uh, issue in the black community. Uh, there are many organizations, Kentucky, uh, um, um, uh, Family Foundation, Kent Ostrander's organization. You can, you can support these organizations that are pro-life. Um, what else can we do? We can study study script, Holy Scripture, study books like Nancy Piercy, C.S. Lewis. It's a new guy in town. Tim Keller. Frank Schaefer wrote a book uh, that actually, he was kind of a mentor to Nancy Piercy. Uh, he ran Libri, uh, a Christian commune in Switzerland during the 60s and 70s, and Nancy was a part of that, of that commune. Um, and uh, he wrote a book called How, shall, How Then Shall We Live or How Shall We Then Live? How Shall We Then Live? All about worldview. Frank, Francis Schaeffer. Um, Tim Keller. Dennis Peacock is a teacher that's all uh, I have followed for a few decades uh, that is all about worldview. So Study. Other things we can do real quickly, we need to hear God. The way Pastor um, Phil talked to us Sunday, we need to hear what God's saying to us. And we need to do the part of hearing. Some of that might be uncomfortable. Tom Kennard goes down to the... uh, Abortion clinic used to a lot more than now till God gave him a little bit of respite. But would go down and with compassion would talk to the women that he could get to that were going in to have an abortion and out of compassion tell them that there's an alternative. He didn't tell them they're going to hell. He told them there's another way. That's a difficult thing to do. That's been hard, hasn't it, Tom? But you heard, and you obeyed. We also need to hear others. We need to listen when we're talking to someone who has a broken worldview or or, or an an incorrect worldview. Listening, you know, we have one mouth, two ears, okay, Use these twice as much as this. Listen to what's going on inside of a person. That's what Jesus did with the woman at the well. He perceived her. 
he was able to prophesy to her, yes, you, you don't, you're right, you don't have a husband, you've had seven. Wow. And that's an example of the last thing I want to bring up. We need to exercise gifts of the Holy Spirit in our discussion with the unsaved, with the people who are contemplating abortion, who are going otherwise off the rails because of a faulty worldview. Words of knowledge, wisdom, discernment, healing. The gifts of the Holy Spirit that I see in the New Testament were by and large used to get the attention of the world as a witness to the world. And they were the kind, they weren't, and they weren't, you know, they weren't party tricks. They were giving life. They got people's attention. We need to seek God for that kind of power, that dynamis, that power of the Holy Spirit. I have one quote here that I'm going to finish up with, and then we'll go into discussion groups. This is out of the book, page 149. This is uh, Nancy Piercy quoting a writer named Fulweiler who explained, this is a woman, I thought of pregnancies that weren't planned as akin to being struck by lightning while walking down the street. Something totally unpredictable, undeserved. She saw abortion as a humane way to protect women from something akin to a natural disaster. I didn't want women to have to suffer with these unwanted pregnancies that were so totally out of their control. Really? They were? Babies had become the enemy because of their tendencies to pop out of the blue and ruin everything. Babies had become the enemy just as in warfare, societies tend to dehumanize the enemy in order to justify killing them. Even materials written by Christians tend to downplay the connection between sex and babies. And I think that's what Pastor Carroll is going to get into next week when he talks about the dysfunction in our sexuality uh, out of the book Total Truth. So 